I love that song. In the good things and in the hardest part, I believe and I will follow you. You know, it's the hardest part that we're talking about in this series. The series is called Broken, Living in a Painful World. And this following Jesus is not always following him in the good times, is it? If, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be in the hardest part as well. And as we've studied Romans 8, the second half actually of Romans chapter 8, where we're learning that in order to thrive in the hardness, to understand why, you need to understand the past. And so in the first week of this series, we looked at the past, distant past. We looked at Adam and Eve and the fall and the curse. And then last week we discovered that to understand how to survive the, the hardship, you need to look at the future. And we looked at heaven and the restoration of creation and that idyllic environment. In fact, I, I propose that it may even seem that maybe this ball of Dirt, called planet Earth, is our final destiny, a a renovated version of it. Maybe it's another planet altogether, but the new Earth is clearly taught as our final destination. Some of you came up to me and said, hey, Jeff, help me with this. If, If it is this planet Earth that is our final destination, well, then where do our beloved Christian deceased people? Where do they go presently? And that's a very good question. And I'll give you my understanding of things, and this is uh, what many scholars hold. The Bible talks about the end, at the very end of the book of Revelation. John saw a vision of the new Jerusalem descending down onto the new earth. There was this moment when the city of God that he is preparing presently will descend down onto the new planet And the home of God will be with men and women. Well, I believe that the deceased today will go to that new Jerusalem to be with the Lord. And they are in that city of God enjoying his company. But someday in the future, that city will be placed on the new earth. So there's an answer to that question. Some may say, well, this is great. We've looked at the distant past and we've looked at the distant future, but what about today? If I'm suffering, I need help in the present. And good news, our our message today really focuses in on how God meets us in the present, how he is our light in the darkness. I wanted to start with a little story that maybe is, okay, it is bragging. I'm going to brag. You ready for that? I accomplished a great feat this week. I bought and assembled a trampoline for my children. Here is a picture of my uh, daughter, Janae, with three of her school friends on our newly assembled trampoline. Uh, My wife kind of gave me a deadline. She said, Janae's having a sleepover with some kids from her class. I want the trampoline assembled by then. Jen knows I tend to put off events that I just aren't, I'm not tasks that I'm not real excited about. And so she said, by Friday, it's got to be done. I agreed, it'll be done. And have you ever assembled a trampoline before? <laughs> wow! Over 300 parts in an operator's manual of 50 pages. I recommend that you pursue a PhD in mechanical engineering before attempting the feat, but... I did it. As difficult as the assembly was, that wasn't the hardest part of the task. The hardest part was getting the box into my pickup truck. 
The box, this trampoline came in a, this box. It weighed 210 pounds, all right? And so I, it doesn't now because it's set up, but I uh, got, got it on the cart the, uh, to the back of my pickup truck. And, you know, I, I was going to use the appropriate, you know, bend your knees, Jeff, bend your knees. And, uh, you know, I was grunting and squealing and about to give myself a hernia or a slip disc or probably both at the same time. And this very helpful uh, Sam's Club employee saw me and he's like, sir, stop, stop. Comes running over in his little blue vest, you know, and he's like, he's like, uh, that's a two-man job. And I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. I figured that out. And, and he said, nobody should try to lift that by themselves. And I thought, that's a good point. And so I grabbed one end. He grabbed the other. And wouldn't you know it, together, it wasn't very bad at all. We lift, hoisted that baby up and slipped it into the back of my pickup truck. No problem at all. I started thinking about that. Nobody should try to lift that by themselves. It reminds me very much of what we're about to study. When it comes to the burdens we carry in life, nobody should try to lift them by themselves. As we're going to see, that's not God's plan. If you're carrying your burdens and you feel alone in bearing them, something's not right. That was not God's intent or plan for anybody. And so we are going to learn together what it means to have the Lord grab one end and join us in bearing the burden. Shall we? Again, we're in Romans chapter 8. We're looking specifically in verse 26. We started in verse 18. We've worked our way to verse 26. It says this, the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. There we go, 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God in us. God sends his Spirit into all believers. And what is the Spirit's role? In part, it's to help us in our distress. When I read that sentence, it's so simple, but I'd like to spend some time studying it because the word helps is really important. The Greek word, for helps. Can you read Greek? Uh, here, here's what it says. Soon ante lamban atai. And you say, man, that's a big word for helps. And you're right, it is. And when we see a word that's that big, it begs the question, what's involved in that word? So I'd like to break it up, and we're going to look at the parts and see what each of the parts means. All right, so soon, that's the first part. Soon quite literally means to come alongside to join. In fact, the Holy Spirit sometimes is called the counselor, and the word counselor is the translation of the word paraclete, and paraclete quite literally means to come alongside. So this verb fits perfectly with that concept. God's Spirit is one who comes alongside of us. Anti just means an order for, meaning you come, he comes alongside with a purpose. Uh, the etsy, the suffix at the end, is actually pointing to the subject, him. So uh, to come alongside in order for him, and then the lamban is to take hold of. Isn't that great? 
So the specific type of help that this verse is talking about is the arrival of the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us in order to take hold of the burden, the distress that we are carrying, to share the weight, to place it on his shoulders so that we don't bear it alone. Isn't that beautiful? God's Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder right now, saying, hey, you're dealing with a bunch of stuff. Could I join you? Could we do it together? Nobody should lift that alone, is what the Spirit is saying. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. And so how? How how is it that the Holy Spirit joins us? How is it that he bears the weight with us? And the verse continues and helps us understand what that looks like. The next part of the verse, verse 26 says, For we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And so the help that the Holy Spirit brings, according to these two verses we're studying today, is that the Holy Spirit helps us pray about our problem. And you were like, that's not the help I was looking for. I kind of wanted him to fix the problem. Kind of wanted him to take away the problem, to change my circumstances and make it all better. That's the help I was looking for. And the Lord says, no, the help, maybe I'll do that. But the help I promise every time is I'll help you to pray. And at first glimpse, you may say, prayer is not my biggest need. And God begs to differ. God says, in fact, it is. The greatest need that we have when dealing with hardship is entering into a prayer of connection with Almighty God that transforms our perspective, that changes the way we see the problem, changes the way we see our role, and changes our whole disposition in dealing with it. God says, what you really need is prayer. Prayer that is powerful, spirit empowered prayer. And that's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. It says, we don't even know how we should pray. We don't know what we should pray for. Sometimes when you're really aching, when you're really hurting, there's a disequilibrium, a confusion, where you're like, I don't even know, I don't even know what to pray. My prayer is not working. It's where the Spirit of God steps in. When we're confused, He is not. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, Praise for us. Now, I want to clarify. This, sounds, this could sound like we're not a part of it, but that's not true. The Spirit is in us. And so when he's praying for us, he's in us, praying for us, through us. So we're carried away by the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who is praying through us. We are enabled to pray through him. Do you see that? And this is some serious prayer. It says the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings. You ever agonized in prayer? You ever groaned, wept in prayer? This is a prayer that these are groanings that cannot even be expressed in words. (laughs) Words would cheapen the content of our agony. Words are insufficient to 
put labels on what we're feeling and experiencing. These groanings, these wordless groanings, are the cry of the deepest recesses of our heart. The Spirit of God enabling us to connect with our pain, our agony, our disappointment in such a profound way that words don't even suffice. Wow. Folks, I want to provide just a a three-point outline that helps us see how the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. Spirit-empowered prayer is prayer that, number one, expresses. That's what we see in this first verse. We need to somehow express what we're dealing with. And the Spirit of God will dig deep down into the corners of our hearts and enable us to groan, to cry out, to express our greatest pain. Now you may be saying, I don't want to express my greatest pain. I want to ignore my greatest pain. I'm just too busy. I'm like, oh, let's not just think about it. Let's just keep going, keep going, keep going. We will never achieve joy and freedom by ignoring our pain. Do you know that? For the Lord to process it, we must connect with it and express it. I think we men maybe struggle more than you ladies do in this regard. We men tend to just not go there. We need to go there. Prayer is a time where we say, Lord, I know I gain victory over my agony by acknowledging it, by expressing it to you. In your prayer time, do you say, God, by your spirit, give me the courage right now to get real with you, to be vulnerable and authentic with what I'm, I may be oblivious, I may be disconnected to my own heart as far as what I'm dealing with. Would you help me by your Holy Spirit? Folks, one of the things that I have found is uh, sometimes my, my prayer and pain is just groaning without words. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gives me words. And, and I write them in my prayer journal. And I have found many times where I just, I've got an angst in me that I can't even fully define, but it's there. I feel it in my body. And I'll sit down to pray and I'll open my prayer journal and the Spirit of God will step into that prayer. And he will begin giving me words, helping me understand or connect with why I'm so stressed or anxious. And the mere expression of my tension to the Lord is therapeutic for me. I'll have 15 minutes of just blah, pouring it out to God. And by the time I close my prayer journal, I just feel better having said it to the Lord. One of the great roles of the Holy Spirit is he gives us those groanings, connects us, and enables us to express it. So let's take a look at the next verse. As we continue, uh, we go to the next verse, verse 27, and it says this, And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. So, In the Spirit-empowered prayer, where the Holy Spirit is praying through us, where he's giving us the groans, the the cry of our deepest heart, how does the Father interact with that? Well, this passage says that the Father, who's committed to knowing all hearts, God wants to understand, okay? 
He knows what the Spirit is saying. That makes sense. If the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the third person of the Holy Trinity, it would make sense that this Spirit-empowered cry is perfectly understood by God the Father. If the Spirit of God is empowering the cry, the Father of God clearly understands what's being conveyed. This verse is pointing to the fact that this communication is not with gaps. Uh, the, The phrase, going back to the outline that I'd like to use, the word is that it's prayer that connects, connects us and the Father. When we pray, God gets it. God understands. There's no, I'm crying out and you're like a thousand miles away. You don't get what I'm dealing with. No, none of that. When it's spirit empowered, he understands the mind of the spirit and the spirit's calling through us. And so God says, I get it. I'm committed to get it. I'm the God who searches hearts and wants to understand what people are dealing with. And that connection, that vital connection between us and God that's established through spirit empowered prayer is precious. A few years ago, I was going through a really hard situation, and I tried to explain it to my wife, and she was doing her best to sympathize, but I could tell she didn't get it. She didn't understand. You ever had someone not understand what you're going through? That's really hard. Or I told some friends, and they were like, yeah, and? And And I just realized they don't get it. I felt very alone. And so I turned in prayer, and I started crying out to God, and I'm like, Lord, I don't think you understand either. (laughs) And immediately, uh, an event in the life of Jesus Christ came to mind where Jesus had experienced the exact same thing I was dealing with. And the impression that I had strongly in my heart was God saying, Jeff Griffin, I understand. I feel your pain, buddy. I know what that's like, that specific hardship. I would argue one of the reasons Jesus was incarnated, that God became a human being, was so that he could relate and understand what we're going through. And having that connection with God where you've poured out your heart and God looks you in the eye and says, maybe no one else else on planet Earth understands what you're going through right now. God says, I'm there for you. I understand. And that understanding, sympathetic ear of Almighty God is a beautiful gift that blesses our soul when we're going through it. He says, I I feel the weight. I'm carrying this burden with you. Your burden is my burden. I get it. Thank you, Lord. Let's continue. The next uh, part of verse 27 says this. For the Spirit of God pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So Spirit-empowered prayer, when the Holy Spirit is the one pleading for us, remember, when he's, he's groaning for us, through us, something you should know about those Spirit-empowered cries, they are in harmony with God's own will. Are all the instinctive prayers of our heart in harmony with God's will? No. But spirit-empowered prayer, when you're connecting with God's spirit in a unique way, when he is flowing through you and the groans are spirit-led, those groans become aligned with the will of God. Do you want your, the cry of your heart 
to be God's cry as well? I think you do. Every one of us wants to be transformed. As we go to the outline, that, that's the point I would make, is that this spirit-empowered prayer is a prayer that transforms. It's a prayer that aligns our will with God's will, a prayer that gets us on the same page with the Lord Almighty. I, I saw this evidenced recently in a friend of mine who's uh, had some interaction with the IRS recently. He owns his own small business, and to his shock, the IRS contacted him saying, we want to do a full audit of your business. And uh, he, he freaked he came to me and he goes, Jeff, this is not good. He goes, I have been sloppy, careless in bookkeeping. This is not going to be good. And with panic in his face, he said, pray for me. And I said, well, how can I pray for you? He goes, pray I don't get in trouble. Pray that somehow I don't get in trouble with the government. And I'm like, okay, I'll pray that. And so we were praying that, but wouldn't you know, it's been months. Uh, the, the sloppiness of his bookkeeping is evidenced by how long this audit has taken. And as he is agonized in prayer during this time, he came to me later and he said, hey, Jeff, can I change my prayer request? And I'm like, sure. Because my prayer request is no longer, I want to not get in trouble. My prayer request now is that God would change me. As I have prayed, I have realized that there are character weaknesses in me. And that this whole audit is not about money. It's about me. It's about me being a man of God. It's about me reflecting the character of Christ. And God's using this in me. Would you pray that God's full character transformation would occur in my life as a result of this audit? I'm like, do you still want... No trouble in the end? He goes, yeah, that'd be nice too. But my first prayer is that God would use this fully to change me. And you know what I thought? I go, you know, that's a spirit-empowered prayer. His cry has changed to be in line with the will of God. He's changing as a result. And that's one of the things that happens when we pray spirit-empowered prayers in the midst of our crises you know, we, we not only encounter him, not only does he understand, but he molds us in the, the praying. And by the time we close our Bible and our prayer journal and walk away, our perspective's more like his. Our, the way we see our life, the way we see our problem, it's all more like him. The cry of our heart is his cry. Wow. Do we need prayer like this? I would argue that every problem you have is an opportunity. Whether it's big problem or whether it's a small need, every need is a chance for us to go to God in prayer and to cry out for the Spirit of God to make this an anointed prayer. A prayer in which we connect with the Lord in a powerful way where the Spirit helps us express our need. Where the Spirit helps us to connect with God the Father and where the Spirit transforms us as we cry out. Folks, this Spirit-empowered prayer will change us, enable us to face hardship with courage, passion, strength. I wanted to show you a painting 
This is a painting by a guy by the name of Arnold Freiburg. Arnold Freiburg painted what's called the Prayer at Valley Forge. I'm guessing you've probably seen this before, a very famous painting of the founder of our country, George Washington, kneeling in prayer. Maybe you've heard the historical context that inspired this painting. Maybe not. I'd like to share it with you. Valley Forge was an absolute low moment in the Revolutionary War. The day that they arrived at Valley Forge was December the 19th, 1777. We had been fighting for over a year, and Washington's troops were just at their wits and broken down. When they stumbled into Valley Forge, they, it says, history records that only one in three soldiers had shoes. That's how depleted they were. Here they're preparing to winter without shoes. It was really bad. Valley Forge is 20 miles northwest of Philadelphia. And it was going to be a cold winter. You know, it's cold in Philadelphia. But it was the best that they could come up with. And so George Washington said, guys, let's start building little lean-to shelters. Uh, 12,000 men camped there through that winter. And the conditions were so bad that of the 12,000, 2,500 died from exposure. They were starving without food. They were malnourished. They were breaking down. And conditions were so bad that some of the citizens and members of Congress started turning against Washington, saying, he's failing as a leader. Look at the disaster that our troops are facing. And many argued that he should be removed from his position and replaced by another. That's bad. If you were George Washington, people are saying you should be fired. If you were George Washington and your troops were in agony, dying, Would you have strength to press on? Ironically, George Washington was known for his resiliency, his perseverance. In fact, the troops at Valley Forge found their strength in the fire in the eye of George Washington, his refusal to give up. In fact, the uh, historian and biographer David McCullough writes this about George Washington. He said he was not a brilliant strategist or tactician. He was not a gifted orator, not an intellectual. The key to his effective leadership was that Washington never gave up. Without his unrelenting perseverance, the the revolution almost certainly would have failed. Isn't that interesting? There are some like George Washington, who have this uncanny ability to endure hardship that most would succumb under. And and they just don't. They still go on. They have got a passion and a power and a zeal. Do you want that? Of course you do. What was Washington's key? Well, To understand it, I need to tell you about another person, and that is, uh, his name was Isaac Potts. I'll show you his house, actually. Here's a picture. Isaac Potts was a man who happened to live in Valley Forge. 
And his home of 300 years has been preserved and stands today in the National Park of Valley Forge because George Washington came to him and he said, hey, we're going to be wintering right by your home here. Uh, Can we use your house as our headquarters? And he gladly made it available. And so this was the headquarters of George Washington during the Valley Forge uh, stay. Well, the owner of the home, Isaac Potts, was riding his horse one day during that winter, and he heard something in the woods near his home. He went to explore. I'll read a quote of Isaac Potts. He said, I heard the sound of a man agonizing in prayer. I tied my horse to a tree and went quickly into the woods, and to my astonishment, I saw the great George Washington on his knees, alone, with his sword and his hat by his side. He was in prayer to the God of armies, pleading for divine aid. Such a prayer I never heard from the lips of a man. I decided to leave him alone, praying. Now, it would be great if this was just one moment, but it wasn't just one moment. The friends of George Washington, his uh, fellow politicians, uh, his family members have all attested to his habit of spending every morning, starting each day, in prayer and Bible study. He had a lot on his plate, but he decided the way he needed to begin the day was to find a solitary place to open his Bible, to hear from God, and to cry out to the Lord in prayer. And here's the question I have for you. Is his reputation as amazingly resilient in hardship connected to the habit of going to God in spirit-empowered prayer? I think so. And if you've got the habit of spirit-empowered prayer on a daily basis, I believe you will reflect the resiliency and hardship that characterized George Washington. Folks, you, you say, I don't have much of a prayer life. That's not good. That's not how to deal in a world of pain. You say, but I'm not good at prayer. None of us are. That's why the Holy Spirit is going to help us get good at something that is inherently awkward and unnatural. But if you'll persevere, if you'll practice, if you'll say to the Spirit of God who's in you, Lord, help me, I'm so bad at this, I'm I'm not focused and I'm not good at connecting with my inner angst, would you please help me? The Spirit of God will help you express, help you connect, and help you transform in the midst of your prayer time. Can I just make the challenge? Uh, Folks, do you have a prayer journal? Do you have a prayer place? Do you have a prayer time? If you do, perfect it, tweak it, make it all that it can be. If you don't, start it and persevere because people who connect with God in the midst of hardship through prayer are those who don't bear their burden alone. They are keenly aware that they've got a partner, that they journey through this difficult life in partnership with Almighty God. And it's not an imagined partnership. It's a real partnership. You'll see it. You'll feel it. You'll experience it. Because every day 
You meet with your partner and talk with them about it. Why don't we turn to God in prayer at this very moment? Would you do that with me? Lord, we thank you for this text, for this vision of what our prayer life can be like, where the Holy Spirit's in the middle of our prayer, enabling us to sense your presence, enabling us to pour out our heart. God, some of us are so bad at connecting with our own pain. Would you help us, Holy Spirit? Help us to pray deep and with vulnerability and authenticity. Spirit of the living God, help us to know that the Father is understanding, that he's there, that he gets it. Spirit of the living God, when we pray even this week, would you change us? Would you align our perspective and cry with the heart and the will of God? Lord, we want the Compass Church to be a church of prayer. We want the Compass Church to be people who are not going through their day without you, but closely with you because we've met with you, whether it be morning or evening. Make us a people of prayer, please, God. And make us courageous as a result, resilient and strong, even in the midst of life on this broken planet. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.